another difficulty with the problem that I was mentioning over dualism is that the notion that the self is somehow fixed permanently and cannot be changed a notion, as I've said, that sometimes relates to the notion of a soul or just sometimes to a metaphysical prejudice, gets buried, embedded in the ancient notion of the persistence of identity, something we find in the modern world in somebody like Saul Kripke. The notion, that is, that there is a fixed entity called Aristotle, and that it is possible to name that entity, and once you've named it, so to speak, to track it throughout its existence. And it never changes, and so your designator never needs to be modified. Now, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, I think it's completely misconceived, but there is another side to this that arises from the notion that the self is fixed and permanent, And that is that it encourages the view, which has been very popular in human history, particularly among intellectuals, that all you need to do to find out who you are is, as you might say, to introspect, to interrogate yourself, to investigate who you are by an introspective questioning and question and answer and thinking, and that you can eventually uncover your true self by such a process and the true self will wait there patiently unchanging until you find it until you peel away enough of the skins that are disguising it that are inherited from and placed around it by its existence in this material world this notion even if I've caricatured it slightly, is so wrong that it's really quite difficult to get to know where to begin. But a good place to begin is to talk about what one might call embodied emergence. That the dualistic assumption that the soul or the self is somehow separate from what it is does in the world or what the body in which it lives does in the world and not affected by it only as you might say covered over papered over like putting on an ill-fitting coat or an ugly jacket or a stained shirt that you can then take off again leaving the underlying self untarnished all these nonsensical notions instead We find in all sorts of thinkers the idea that we need to define ourselves, and I do mean define, not discover, but define and create ourselves through a process of becoming in which by interacting with the world, we find out who we are. No, not find out who we are. That's, you see, this is another of these linguistic traps. Not find out who we are. We create, we form who we are. We define who we are, but for which that self would not exist at all. So there's a difference. 
Um, saying you find who you are suggests that you're a bit like Australia before it was discovered uh, and that eventually somebody will uncover it and there it will be and it is what it is. And there have been so many attempts to describe the human being or human being or the human self in those terms. Uh, I believe all mistaken. So instead, what, what can we say? Well, we can say that we are in the world. We are physical entities. And we are, in the end, at root, just physical entities. We have language and we have a whole raft of philosophical and religious and scientific and metaphysical and all sorts of other things that we have developed as a result of language but all of this supervenes on a material substrate and therefore it is at the end when all said and done a physical thing so to interact with a physical world is to define oneself it's to make oneself. It is, to use a word that Nietzsche was very fond of stressing, it is to become. And one of the things Nietzsche gets absolutely right is that he wants to replace being with becoming. Replace the notion that we are some static thing with the notion that we are some dynamic thing. Something we turn into by self-definition in our interaction with the world. Now, this invites us to think again about self-knowledge because the intellectual approach, the approach encouraged by the notion that our self is somehow in there and only waiting for us to find it, if we can be ingenious enough to strip away all the disguises, the intellectual approach doesn't see itself as engaging with the world, in other words, with having a project, an objective that it's trying to fulfill or achieve as part of its self-definition. Those things are all incidental. They are perhaps necessary, you know, you... You may need to earn your corn in order to buy your food and pay for your house and your clothes and all this kind of stuff. But it's very easy to see all of that in terms of this superficial clothing and that the self is somehow still there buried like buried treasure or a nugget of gold or a diamond that nothing can scratch uh, and that all this other stuff is ancillary. But it isn't. The other stuff is in the process of a contributor to the very nature of the thing that it is that we are. So when I do my work or do my writing or do the gardening or talk to somebody or take the dogs for a walk or whatever it might be, it is a self-constituting process. And I mean a self constituting process. In other words, the process helps to make myself into something that it would not otherwise have been. It would certainly have developed into something, but you can't say what else it might have developed into. That's to get into the whole uh, perplexing realm of counterfactual conditionals, uh, which are partly what leads Kripke astray. So everything that we do 
means that we we don't learn who we are. Dewey sort of talks that way, as though we discover who we are by what we do. He's he's nearly there, but he isn't quite there because he doesn't quite see or doesn't see to my mind quite clearly enough or say quite clearly enough that we constitute who we are by the things that we do. And I mean by all the things that we do, literally all of them. Most of the things we do have only an infinitesimal impact, or so we like to think, although you can tell there's a big digression there if you start thinking about supersensitive systems. It is at least conceivable that even something apparently trivial that we do can set in train on the sort of butterfly theorem, which I'm sure everybody's heard of, some train train, some process that will lead us on a completely different trajectory from the one that we might otherwise have uh, traversed. Uh, and this is to do with the way systems emerge. And I, I could go into that. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do another episode on this. Maybe episode 12 should be about this because it's a fascinating area. But most of the things that we do, let's just accept for a moment and challenge later are fairly trivial in terms of what they mean for our self-constitution, but others are very major. Uh, and the, the way we respond to the world, the way we respond to other people, the way we respond to human suffering, the way we respond to um, ambition, the way we respond to dishonesty, the way we respond to our own greed, the way we respond to our own imperfections, all this stuff, all of it makes us who we are. Uh, not in a final sense. I mean, don't imagine that we are moving towards a point and that we one day arrive and having done that, we then remain fixed thereafter. What I'm saying is that we never arrive. There is no, to use a nice little term, there is no terminus ad quem. There is no end to which we are moving. There are only the termini ab quo, the the intermediate steps by which we move towards some future which will in the end simply be an ending in death and if one has the courage and if one is spared and has the strength and the health one hopes that the very day one dies one will still in some sense or other be going on continuing the process of constituting the self so that when we dissolve in infinite spaces, they will taste of us and it'll be a taste that's good and has left a lasting positive impact and mark upon the world that others will then use in their own becoming. And I think in the end, the only ambition that any of us can reasonably have is that that is what we will do and that will be our legacy.